Hello folks, this is Chopping It Up with CJ. I'm your host, Chris James, and this is Weekside Wednesday. So what do we usually do on Weekside Wednesdays? I cover all the NFL stories that I think are relevant, as well as going over the prior week's games and giving a little recap on them. Now this is episode 17 of Weekside Wednesdays, and it's a little later in the season, so we're not going to have that normal script. Uh, But we will have some goodness here for you. And uh, a couple of things. So usually I try to stay away from uh, using some language on my show. I don't think I will in this one, but at certain points I might go a little off the cuff. So parental discretion is advised just in case you are listening in front of your little ones. I want to make sure that that's clear. Uh, For those of you all who are newer to the show, that's not my commonplace, but this might be a little bit of a special show since we're ending the rest of the season. And you can actually... Follow me on Twitter. That's the best place to find my football-related content. My handle is at CJFlorida9. That's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, and the number nine uh, if you want to give me a follow. All right. So this is, like I said, episode 17 of Weekside Wednesdays. They have not been each week like I planned for them to be just because life got in the way. But what I'll be covering right now as we sit here on February 9th of 2022, I'm going to be recapping the NFC and AFC championships. What I'll also be doing is just going over a couple of stories of stuff that has happened uh, for Weekside Wednesdays over the last couple of weeks. And one came to mind. So we're in the cycle right now, right? And the cycle is the coaching hiring cycle. It happens every year. It's always an oddity because I still think it's truly stupid to do coaching hiring while the season's still going on just in case for some reason candidates who (laughs) want to be interviewing for these jobs are still game prepping and planning because lo and behold maybe their team's just good at football and they're an offensive defense coordinator special teams coordinator whatever it may be so whatever the nfl has it set up whatever way they want to it is what it is right but there's also that wonderful little rule that was put in place i believe back in what 1993 uh called the rooney rule and I, I always try to get people to understand this. See, I, I did a double major situation with uh, finance and econ, with econ being my major focus, right? People use a brain like finance. They think that once any change occurs, that it's only gonna escalate in value, right? Can only appreciate, can only get better. Unfortunately, when changes happen, they usually end up functioning a little more like a pendulum. When anything that's positive happens, there will be some sort of negative pushback that occurs until you can either counterbalance and move from where you were to a new space or unfortunately sometimes backslide. And the implementation of the Rooney rule did have relevance and I still think to the extent that there needs to be something in place, it still has relevance, right? But like anything, snakes in the grass will find their way. People will skirt the rule because sometimes people just don't give a damn. And for those of you all who aren't familiar with the Rooney Rule, it basically says that during its implementation, a minority candidate has to be interviewed during a hiring cycle before you can hire a candidate. I believe that they've done things to adjust it. I have not read it recently, but I think it might be two candidates, this, that, or the other, right? And they have to have some level of relevance. It can't just be, okay, I'm, I'm gonna interview Joe Schmo over here. It has to be what is theoretically considered a reasonable candidate. And they've tried to do things like attach picks to it, especially if you hire a coach. Oh, all this stuff they've tried to do to it. 
But, you know, alas, we are here. Now, I want to discuss the coaching hires that have occurred. And I want to discuss four of them. And I'm focusing on these four because they all have previous head coaching experience. For those who have listened to my show prior, right, when I talked about in the past, I think I went over two uh, on a past show. And it was Matty Berflus and uh, Nathaniel Hackett. See, here's how I function. Even if I don't think a coaching hire is the best hire, number one, I'm going to congratulate these dudes because, again, I don't personally know them and I have nothing against them. Good for you. You achieve something that other people that are in the coaching ranks or even just armchair coaches would love to be, an NFL head coach. Congratulations to you. I'm not going to take your shine just because I'm a pathetic human, right? That's not how I operate. I might question whether or not it's the best situation for whether it's a young quarterback or for the team as it sits or if it was you said you wanted offense but you went with another defensive guy after multiple defensive guys i'll do that but in general no congratulations to all these dudes i don't like people who come with really terrible takes at this stage and for those of you all who know me personally for those of you all who've heard me i'm at this stage in life because i've been able to mature right i've gone through whatever has put me in a position to be able to look into a lens that is less critical about things that I don't have context on, right? It's just going to happen over time and I'm hoping other people get there. But this topic was spurred on for me because there was a specific coach that apparently, I don't know how to say the guy's last name and honestly, I don't care. Thor something or other. He covers football. doesn't really matter. He said, and I'm not going to quote because I don't feel like even pulling up the tweet, but his basic premise was the NFL coaching landscape must be Chernobyl if Lovey Smith was the best candidate possible for the Texans, which I know we try to make extremes happen and we say stuff like that, but that's a pathetic take because Chernobyl was super serious. Um, and the stuff that happened to that pe- the people over there uh, was... Uh, super horrifying. So that's a bad cop. But hey, let's just go with the, he tried to make a bad joke. Because honestly, I put it up on my, my Twitter. You can see it. I thought it was an interesting take. reason I thought it was interesting is because let's just look at the four candidates that had prior head coaching experience that were hired in the past couple of weeks. So we're going to start with Lovey Smith because that's the guy who apparently proofed out nuclear uh basically a nuclear disaster as a head coaching hire cool well this nuclear disaster has a 92 and 90 overall record that's a 505 or 505 a winning percentage right winning record 89 87 in the regular season and three and three in the postseason he also had one super bowl appearance where he lost to peyton manning in the indianapolis colts and his quarterback was rex freaking grossman uh, he was with the Bucks for two seasons. In his first season, they went 2-14. and 14. That allowed them, and I was at the game when they tanked in the second half against the Saints. Because I live here in wonderful Tampa, Florida. They tanked against the second half uh, Saints in the second half because they were outplaying them so they could secure the number one overall pick. That number one overall pick turned into Jameis Winston. In year two, Josh McCown was the quarterback, and I remember vividly Josh McCown throwing a ball backwards. Yes, that same Josh McCown, who I think is a cool-ass dude, but is also somehow a head coaching candidate for this exact position, oddly enough, uh, with no experience. 
but in that season they went six and ten. They started the season six and six, and then kind of wavered down the stretch with a rookie quarterback. Then, as some people are apt to do, because again, snakes in the grass exist, Dirk Cotter leveraged his situation to make it seem to ownership and to management, upper management, that he was the reason for Jameis Winston coming along so well. And to not sever that situation, they decided to let go of Lovey Smith and promote Dirk Cotter, and you saw how poorly that went. But again, came into a situation with a team that was just destroyed by the prior head coach, got Jameis Winston in his second season, and they started to improve, okay? Now, the gentleman referenced his 17-39 record at Illinois, right? I think that's a reasonable reference only in the perspective of what has he done recently. As we all know, some people are better at certain jobs. Lovey Smith's personality lends itself to the NFL because he's more of a manager than a rah-rah guy or anything like that. I think in college football, sometimes you need that element to be able to be successful. As a kind of a an opposite belief here, um, you know that two of the greatest coaches in college football history, Steve Spurrier and Nick Saban, were mediocre in the NFL. Not because they're bad coaches, their styles didn't fit at the time. And to some extent, maybe Nick Saban, who is a great tactician and manager, would have been better if they might have gotten Drew Brees. People always say that. Whatever, right? But it didn't work. Maybe Lovey Smith just wasn't a good college coach, but what I can tell you is that he's clearly a good NFL coach. Maybe not say great, but I can definitely say good. He's got a winning record over an extended period of time, multiple playoff appearances. Like he had three different seasons as Chicago Bears head coach where they won 10 games or more. And again, went to a Super Bowl. So for the Houston Texans, I'm going to go with this as a B-plus higher for the Texans. And the reason I'm saying that is this. I'm actually reflective on some of the team's inner workings of it being a B-plus higher because, honestly, I think he'll be very helpful to them. I think he'll be a good head coach that'll move things forward. And there's consistency. He was already in the building. But for them, it almost felt like they did a quote-unquote panic hire. And that's nothing against Lovey Smith, which is why the situation for Lovey to me, is a C-minus. See, he's getting the opportunity, again, to be a head coach, a thing that, honestly... He should have probably not been fired about because for those who don't realize this, he was 10 and six in the season that he got fired. Yeah. So this almost feels and smells kind of fishy for Lovey in the situation. That's why I say it's a C minus situation. Hopefully he's able to coach his way out of what seems to be an organization that's trying to do a hard reset. Um, and I don't like it. It doesn't smell good to me the way that Lovey has been put in here. So if anything's Chernobyl, which again, I think is a horrifying thing to actually compare to the hiring of someone considering what it is, it's the Houston Texans management of their coaches over the last X amount of years. The next guy is Josh McDaniels. He's now the new Las Vegas Raiders coach. Um, for the, He's been in New England forever, right? And we always like to position things in our head in a manner that makes it make sense for our argument, right? I've done it too. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like I am this holier than thou guy who never does this. But here's what I will say. If you want to use things against certain people, let's say Airbnb, because he's the hot topic guy to talk about, but it's easy to talk about this one. Well, he had Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, cool. Well, you know what Josh McDaniels had his whole time of being good at OC? 
Tom freaking Brady and Bill damn Belichick. Now you can say, oh, well, Belichick didn't touch the offense. But Tom Brady did. So what did this guy do when he was a head coach? He went to the Denver Broncos. He was 11 and 17, which is a 393 winning percentage. This is an overall record. This man also did the following. He started his career off looking like a wunderkind, right? Six and zero. Even beat the Patriots. I think it was week five of that season, right? And then proceeded to in his next twenty-two games go five and seventeen, a two-two-seven um, winning percentage, which is only good when Jack A. Harris is on it, right? Cool. You know what? We can forgive you for not having a good time as a new head coach, and maybe you weren't ready. But then you pulled the scumbag move, and okay, you may not be a scumbag, but the move itself was with the Colts. I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. Other people are making decisions based on your word, other coaches, things like that, and then you kind of leave them at the altar. And that's unsavory in my, my opinion, because again, this isn't a video game. This is moving pieces with real lives. People are making decisions based on you, right? And it would give me severe pause if I'm a GM to hire you. Okay, maybe you have now improved something. Me personally, I say it like this. If he was a winner, but has a little bit of a, yeah, okay, well, at least you're a winner. We can figure some things out. If you were a loser, which your first coaching stint was, but then you also have this, and you haven't done anything innovative, you know, really, to be honest, like the Patriots the last two years, they're without Tom Brady. You know, you did some stuff with Cam Newton and you got COVID and then year with Mac Jones. Anytime they played a good team, you didn't really do much. So I'm not going to say it was a bad hire for the Raiders. In fact, I'm going to give it a C. I think it's a C hire. I think it's an average hire of a dude who's a hot name that you can just go ahead and say, fine, let's hire him because everyone will say great hire, even though there's nothing on his resume other than I coached Tom Brady under Bill Belichick that says he's a good coach. There's nothing, right? For him, it's an A-plus situation. They have a team that went to the playoffs with a quarterback that I think is underrated, and he's now the head coach there. So bravo to you. You were able to convince him that you'll be a good one. And maybe you will, because some of this is a bit of a crapshoot, right? I think he'll end up being good because the pieces there around him are good. And it's probably talented football mind again i'm just saying there was nothing to say knockout home run higher here for me with this particular situation the next one though i do have a a, a good feeling about it's doug peterson going to the jacksonville jaguars okay so some people might scoff and laugh but i think things fit well in some situations doug peterson just from the looks of it and this is nothing football related. He looks like Jacksonville. I don't know how else to say it. He looks like South, like he looks like North Central Florida, like the laid back with the with the visor. His hair's a mess sometimes. All I'm saying there is just I feel like the fan base will embrace him, and that's a big thing when it comes to situations where you're going into an organization, a franchise. You need to, if you're the coach or the quarterback, be embraced by that team. You know why Josh Allen was good in Buffalo? It wasn't because he was good at football initially. He was terrible. That franchise embraced him, built him up, gave him the resources, and that young man is freaking balling, right? You need a situation where you're embraced, and I think Doug Peterson will be embraced by the fan base. But here's why 
from a football perspective that he should be embraced. He has a 42-39-1 overall record. That's a 541 winning percentage. Uh, he's 4-2 in the regular season. And he is... Um, sorry about that. He is 4-2 uh, in the postseason, I should say. Uh, that's a pretty good standard. 66.7% uh, or 667 as a winning percentage. Uh, he won a Super Bowl and he beat Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, the affirmation Josh McDaniels with Nick Foles at the helm. And they put up points. But here's another reason why I think that this situation works really well. You know, he had to deal with that Carson Wentz situation. And I don't think Carson Wentz is a bad guy, but Carson Wentz kind of was feeling himself a little bit too much. Didn't like how Nick Foles was you know, being looked at. Um, so he had to deal with that and manage that. He gets a better version of Carson Wentz. For those people who don't know, when I assessed Trevor Lawrence, I actually gave him a pretty high grade. He was my number one quarterback in the 2021 draft. My comp for him was Carson Wentz. He's a better version of Carson Wentz and a more, much more mature version of Carson Wentz. You're going to tell me that a guy who worked well with Wentz and accentuated his skill set, and people say maybe it was Frank Wright. Well, we saw what happened when Frank Wright got Carson Wentz back. It didn't go too much better. It was Carson Wentz. I have faith that the holes that exist in Trevor Lawrence's game, and for you people who don't think he has them, just... It's, don't ever assess football. Just, you know, just be a fan. This coach can help him with those. He's already seen them with Wentz. They have some of the same struggles. But again, I think Trevor Lawrence is a superior athlete to Wentz, a superior football player to Wentz, and has a superior mentality of, I'm not going to call out Wentz's work ethic. I'm just going to say he responds better to criticism than Wentz does. And that is something that I feel very confident saying. So for the Jaguars, I think this is an A higher. Because, again, this is a, a hire for the Jaguars from the perspective that I think he's going to work really well with their young franchise-level quarterback, get things on, on pace, and I think he's a breath of fresh air from what they just had as far as another really good coach who didn't fit the vibe there. You can say, yes, that coach, Urban Meyer, coached at the University of Florida. Different scenario when you're in college and things function a little differently than dealing with grown men uh, in the NFL. For Peterson, this is an A-plus situation. He gets to work with people that call this young man generational, even though that's not the right vernacular for him. He's uh, the safest quarterback to come out since Andrew Luck. Not a generational talent. But he gets to work with a really good young quarterback. They have young pieces on the offense. I think that the pieces actually fit what Doug Peterson wants to do a little better, especially a guy like James Robinson. And to be candid, the defense isn't terrible. And they have, uh, you know little pick that might just be i don't know number one pick so they can go out and get a, an edge rusher or whatever they want to do with that pick flip it whatever it all works so good for doug peterson and good for the jacksonville jaguars the next guy and final guy i want to discuss is dennis allen he is now the new head coach of the new orleans saints now dennis allen was in the building already it's kind of like lovey smith except with a longer tenure so dennis allen had a stint with the saints back when they won their their first and only super bowl Right? I think he was like the DB's coach or something like that. And then he got a head coaching job shortly thereafter um, with the Oakland, then Oakland Raiders. I think in between he was DC somewhere uh, for like a year uh, after the Saints. Well, with Oakland, and some people say, you know, it was bereft of talent, this, that, and the other. 
cool. Let's not even talk about Raheem Morris and what he was able to do with a situation that was bereft of talent after Gruden had crapped on the franchise, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Dennis Allen went 8-28. That's a 222 winning percentage overall. Uh, he was 4-12 and each of his first two seasons, and then 0-4 in his third season before he got fired. Now, again, he's been the DC for the Saints since uh, 2015. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Rob Ryan. He took over for Rob Ryan. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. Here's what I think about the situation, because I was asked by a friend, because for those of you all who don't know, I'm a Saints fan, right? Support my team, still have season tickets, all that stuff, right? I think consistency is key here because this is an odd situation. You had a coach walk away, a virtual retirement. Sean Payton is hanging up for right now. And we've seen people come back and forth into situations, right? But this one was kind of a clean move. And I know that because of the Rooney rule, the Saints probably already wanted to do this. And this is like, this is an internal burn up situation in my mind. I hate that we have to have a Rooney rule, but we clearly have to have something in place because of the BS that's being done by some people. Because this is one of the few situations where I don't even think there needed to be a, a higher uh, interview from the outside. They could have just made this move with either him, Aaron Glenn, uh, Carmichael, whoever, to keep the situation together. Because the Saints have some other stuff that they have to work out. The Saints are, for all intents and purposes, a, not only a playoff caliber roster, they could push for a Super Bowl with that defense and some of the offensive pieces that they do have. Um, but they have a cap situation. Again, consistency is key here until they kind of find the guy that they want. Maybe it's Dennis Allen. Maybe it's someone else, but at least you'll be able to get through the cap situation without having to change over so many different things. For the Saints, I will call this a B-minus hire for the Saints. Again, Dennis Allen's resume does not say that Dennis Allen should ever have been offered this job. But considering all the circumstances and also that Dennis Allen might not have been ready. Right, let's go ahead and be honest. Dennis Allen kind of had to work his whole deal out. And the defense has gotten markedly better. Yes, with infusions of talent, true. But also that defense, whatever he does, stymies some of the greats, including Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers to start the season. So it's a B minus higher for the Saints, in my opinion. I even give it a B, right? Um... For at least keeping a consistent year. For him, Dennis Allen, this is an A-plus situation. If Dennis Allen, who is familiar with the situation in New Orleans, his family doesn't have to be uprooted, his, he, he's familiar with, uh, by situation in New Orleans, I mean the city and everything like that, he's clearly familiar with the team. They know him, they, they value him. If he can't be successful here, then it's likely that he's not an NFL head coach and maybe he's just a newer version of, let's say, like a, a Wade Phillips. And I'm not saying he's as good of a DC as Wade Phillips was, but Wade Phillips was one of those guys who he was always a better defensive coordinator than he was ever a head coach. So maybe that's Dennis Allen's path. If he can't make it here, this is a perfect situation for anyone, even more perfect than Douglas Peterson's situation could ever be. This is an A++. So Dennis Allen should be able to do well here. Might not be a 12-5 and five season, but they should at least be competitive in 15 or 16 out of their 17 games. If they end up losing one, it'll probably be because they face a roster that's just way better than them. 
So that was just my my overview on coaching hires. Again, congratulations to all these dudes for getting their job, man. Look, again, I don't have anything personal against any of these guys. Very few people who are, exist in the NFL that I have anything personal against. I can only make assessments based on what's offered. And some of these, I think, are really good hires. Like I said, Doug Peterson is a, a great hire from the outside. I think Dennis Allen moving into that position makes sense. I think that Lovey Smith moving into that position makes sense, especially since the Texans are probably doing some other stuff that I don't want to get into. But let's see how long they let Lovey Smith have this job. If it's more than two years, I will be so shocked, especially if Lovey Smith has even decent records, considering what Bill O'Brien did to this damn team, destroying it. And then Josh McDaniels, who I think is just an average hire. Let's see what happens. The next topic is one that I want to get into, and it's actually a frustrating topic to me because let's go ahead and just jump in. The topic of Joe Burrow. Now, for those of you who all don't know me, I'm a huge Joe Burrow fan and was extremely supportive of his future possibilities. You know, I started doing what I do and assessing quarterbacks in all positions, period. Back in 2010, during that draft cycle, you know, Sam Bradford and whatnot, right? My first one. And like anyone new to something, especially since I didn't have a mentor, the closest thing to a mentor I had was my associate, and he was just trying to do the best job he could at the time too, Emory Hunt. We were trying to figure it out. We just knew what we knew about. We know that this dude looks like he played football. We don't think this dude can play football. That type of scenario, right? And we got better and more refined. And also, I wasn't doing this full-time. I'm still not doing it full-time. So it took some time for me to become comfortable with how I used to grade all positions, but quarterbacks started to become my leaning because there were little things that stuck out to me. So from 2010 to 2015, I was still refining my approach. In 2016, I became comfortable with how I assess quarterbacks. And so... Why that's relevant is because since 2016's draft, since that draft class that had, you know, Dak Prescott and Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, Joe Burrow is my second ranked quarterback out of any of the quarterbacks that have been available since with a 90 grade behind only Deshaun Watson, who I give a 91 grade to, and just in front of Patrick Mahomes, who I give an 89 grade to during the pre-draft process. Just for context for you all who aren't familiar with how I do my grading system since then. If I assess a player and give him a 70 or below a 70, to me, he's not an NFL caliber player. He may be able to play in other leagues. Maybe he can develop into one, but from what he's put on film and his physical abilities, he's not an NFL player at this point. Probably shouldn't be drafted or even brought into a camp if possible. 70 to 74 is a likely backup player. Now, when I say it like that, this is more specific to quarterback because there's a lot of guys who just float around the league as a backup quarterback. Case in point, Chase uh, Chase McDaniel, um, who I actually thought was going to be better than he ended up being, but that's the type of player I'm talking about. They're consistently on rosters as a backup. No team signs them thinking that they're going to be a starter at this point. Then 70 to 79 is a likely spot starter. That's a guy like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy who you can bring into your organization or uh, Case Keenum. You bring into your organization knowing that if you do need them to start, they can be the guy. Or you bring them in 
when you drafted a rookie and you want to give this guy some time to mature, so you leave him on the bench while this guy's in front of him. That's what 70 to 79 means. 80 to 84 is an NFL starting caliber quarterback. If I give you an 80 or above, I believe you're an NFL starting caliber quarterback. 85 to 89 is a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. That means I believe that you are probably going to be up for Pro Bowl level contention, especially the higher your grade, over the next, you know, the expansion of your of your career. And if I give you a 90 or higher, which only two quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Deshaun Watson, I believe you're an all pro caliber player. Not only are you going to be a perennial pro bowler, but year in and year out, you'll be considered one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in the NFL. That's how much I believed in Joe Burrow coming out of LSU. Okay? So that's why I'm starting here to tell you the story. You know, um, I listen to a lot of people. I listen to, uh, you know, Talk Spicy with uh, Gene Clemens. Uh, he, he started doing that virtually daily uh, and put out some good topics. So I listen to that podcast, right? I listen to Dan Lebertar because I, I think some of their stuff is funny and quirky on Metal Arc Media, right? But I also listen to Bomani Jones. And I like his, uh, his, his joint, The Right Time, because I think he brings up some relevant topics and he discusses them in a manner that... Uh, you know, it's easy to say that they're intelligent, but they're nuanced. Like he actually goes through why topics matter and it doesn't just hit him with a hardcore this. This is why this is. No, he tries to actually go into some of the topics and, and, and look for what could be an indicator. But he warned of something happening because of how the quarterback position has flipped on its head over the last half decade. See, about the last five years or so, the best quarterbacks have been, you know, let's say, whether it's Dak Prescott or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson or it was Patrick Mahomes first for the most of that stretch or it was Lamar Jackson when he had that magical 2019 season. See what I'm getting at? They've been a little, little black. And he warned that the media as a whole will go too far with the next quality white quarterback. And why this is important is because if you've followed me, you know anything about me, I like consistency. And consistency, I think, dictates equality. If you are consistent in how you evaluate people, places, and things based on the same criteria, it will, just by nature of the beast, make things more equal. Okay. But what I've noticed is, with guys who might have, let's say, been unanimous MVPs, I don't know, a guy like Lamar Jackson, at no point in time when he was winning a unanimous MVP did the media speak about him being the best quarterback. Even though he was the unanimous MVP, I think the only one other than Tom Brady in 2012 or something like that, right? Or Dak Prescott when he went to get his money. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, okay. And now with Patrick Mahomes, which is an interesting one because of how long he's been really good. The reason I'm saying this is because it started with Josh Allen and whether or not he was better than Mahomes. Okay. And now it's if Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in the league. And this is when going too far is clear to me because it just makes me ask, what? Okay. Burrow has had a great eight-week run, right? And we'll get into that in a second. But... If we're looking for consistency, we wouldn't even bring our lips together to say that Burrow or Allen is better than Mahomes 
if it was Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. And the reason I say this is because I remember Peyton Manning having struggles and we're still as a media. I remember this because I was I'm a little older than some of y'all. That's fine. He's going to get better. Trust me. It's not an issue. All this stuff. When he was struggling. And what's even funnier is the stats from the game that we just watched in the AFC Championship, most of them say that Burrow played a poorer game than Mahomes. So here are the stats. I mean, they're just normal stats. This is nothing like too advanced. Uh, Burrow was 23-38 for 60.5% completion percentage, 25, uh, 250 yards passing, 6.6 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, one interception. He had an 86.5 quarterback rating, Okay. Mahomes was 26-39, that's 66.7% completion percentage, 275 passing yards, 7.1 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, he did have two interceptions including a YOLO ball in overtime, but a 91.3 rating. So all of those numbers are better, right? But there is one stat where Burrow outplayed Mahomes, and trust me folks, I'm not saying that Burrow did not play Mahomes, he definitely was more consistent, and I actually think he helped his team win Whereas in Mahomes and that coaching staff, for good Lord's sake, uh, helped that team lose. And this is a stat that I like because I think that it normalizes a lot of the stuff that we just saw. Again, the, the, the stuff I just quoted you would tell you that Mahomes played a better game. But this stat, and it's not always accurate. In fact, you know, I get paid during the day to basically be a statistician all day. I have to assess situations and look for Correlation, but hopefully causation. Whether or not something just goes along with something else and correlates, which can sometimes lead you to the cause, or whether it's actually the cause, which usually is an Occam Razor situation instead of, you know, us chasing zebras, right? Um, Burroughs total QBR, which QBR is a measurement from zero to 100 that basically says how well you've played. 50 is average, okay? to give you a baseline and it is inclusive of everything a quarterback does do not let people tell you anything different you can go look it up it's how they pass the ball whether or not it was third down did they did they run and get a, a good game did they take a sack penalties things like that okay it's all those things it's all inclusive it's how well a quarterback did to actually make their team win or lose a game and i think it was instituted in 2006 and part of it was probably to normalize for quarterbacks that were able to utilize their legs and win games to take that passer rating element out of it because as you see here, the passer rating says that Mahomes outplayed Joe Burrow. But the total QBR says Joe Burrow had a 54.9%. He was above average for the game. Mahomes total QBR was 40.8, which means he was below average. What's more startling is Mahomes had the greatest disparity in total QBR ever in playoff history. 98.0 in the first half, 104, or 1.4, I should say, 1.4 after halftime. So that's the second half and overtime. So why am I talking about Burrow and then I'm bringing this stuff up? Because my issue is with Burrow sitting here without a Super Bowl title, and yes, he could have one soon, and having played great for basically the last eight weeks of a stretch, how is he being called better than Mahomes? But keep in mind this. Mahomes just had his worst season and still went to the AFC Championship. And he had a stretch where he was doing all sorts of ridiculous things. But he's had arguably the best four-year stretch 
of any quarterback in the modern era. And it's only rivaled by two stretches. That means four consecutive years. Because I looked into this. I looked up a bunch of the greats, whether it was Drew Brees or, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Brett Favre or any of those guys, right? It's only rivaled by 03 to 06 Peyton Manning, right? And that stretch might have actually been better. And 92 through 95, Steve Young. Now, for context on these guys, Patrick Mahomes just is finishing off his fifth year. He started in a, as a second-year player, so years two through five. Those stretches I just named for Peyton Manning, right, 03 to 06, that was years six through nine for him. That stretch I said for Steve Young, 92 through 95, that was years eight through 11 for him. So this young man is probably going to get better because he's done more in his first five years as far as like being that dude in Mahomes than even the great walked into the Hall of Fame Peyton Manning or Steve Young did during their first four consecutive year stretch of greatness. So for those who want to just crown, whether it's Josh Allen or, or, and yes, I looked into Brady folks, his best four year span was 09 through 12. And it still wasn't as good statistically as Patrick Mahomes. I looked at the advanced metrics, all of it. I did look into this. But if you want to off of Josh Allen, who was horrible at football prior to year three of his NFL career, or Joe Burrow, who, again, I think is ridiculously nasty, and I rate it higher than Patrick Mahomes coming out for an eight-week stretch. If you want to jump a dude who had a four-year stretch, you got to start to question, what in the hell are you doing? Why are you so quick to jump these two dudes up when a dude who had a better season, arguably, than Josh Allen had this year or even last in Lamar Jackson's 2019 season? And I'm not even arguably, it was better. And definitely a better season than Joe Burrow had this year. Why was he so mistreated as far as whether or not he was in the upper echelon of quarterbacks? You got to start to think about that stuff. I have some advice for you all. And again, there's a lot of people who probably think I'm a racist or whatever. And hey, to each their own. You can believe what you want to. My goal has always been this since I was a little kid. You can ask my family about this. You can talk to friends of mine, people who even have worked with me who don't like me. Equality is my biggest driver and consistency is a portion of that. But I do have advice. Again, that might bother some folks, but just hear me out. I encourage white parents in the USA, all right? Especially those that tend to be conservative in nature, you know, maybe their political leanings are Republican, Libertarian, whatever, right? And also happen to maybe be Christian, which I'm generalizing a religion and not saying Catholic or Baptist or Episcopalian or anything like that, right? Just lean conservative in nature and would associate themselves as a Christian faith person. Normalize giving your kids books with black people, especially black children, when they're children, in them, to read, look at, give them those books. And as they get older, you know, preteen, early teens, when they're starting to ask questions about, you know, society, and especially if you gave them those books, things that they're seeing, when they ask you about race because it's going to come up, get information from quality sources, like professors of African-American studies at major universities, or extremely informed individuals. I'll give you an example. Uh, Dr. Cornell West is my example here. Because no, don't listen to certain people. <laughs> But Dr. Cornell West is someone who you should 
look into getting some examples of information from. Not people like Candace Owens. I know some people who I know who go that route and I do the same for them. I instruct them, hey, you wanna, you don't have to listen to me. Go listen to people who are informed on this, who do much more research on this than me, who possibly know more. And for those of you all who need the context to why uh, Dr. West is someone that I would suggest here, might just be because these are things that people value. He attended Harvard for undergrad, then received his master's and PhD from Princeton. He also has taught at prestigious universities such as whether it's Dartmouth or Yale or Harvard or Princeton. So that's my advice. And the reason I'm saying this is not because, and this is again, I don't make this claim to people willy-nilly because I think that it's a very, very, very ugly thing to say. It's not because you're racist. Why I'm telling you to do this is because this information can be helpful with race relations because what's, go what's going on in your household may be a culture of not showing hate towards others, right? That's probably the culture you have in your household. Be nice to other people. Cool. But you know what the rest of the world has? It has people that will infect, especially impressionable youths, people with hatred and stupidity and selective ignorance. So we all need to be hyper vigilant in getting information out there. That's why I'm encouraging you to do that because then it's just second nature to these kids. It's not even a thing. And you did your due diligence and maybe you'll learn something too. And for those people who say, well, you should do the same thing with white books. Give black kids books with white people in them. That's literally every book. Not a joke. I'm not trying to make jokes here. That's that's literally every book. It's already being done. But yes, let's be hyper vigilant if we truly want to defeat atrocities that are the result of you know racism or any of the isms that are negatively impacting us. Because I truly do believe most people are not racist. I just think they get uncomfortable because they were taught and told by some people at some point in life that they should be. And if you normalize people that are different from you, maybe we'll get past some of this crap. At the end of the day, I am rooting for Joe Burrow in the Super Bowl. That is what it is. But I want to cover uh, the games that happened last week again. Give them some time. Again, we're, we're already at 42 minutes on this. I'm sorry for kind of opining on things that maybe we didn't want to talk about, but I wanted to talk about them. And getting to the game specifically, so the AFC Championship was played first. I believe it was a 3, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time kickoff two Sundays ago. Uh, and the Bengals won. Uh, I think it was 27-24, right? Okay. We all know what happened in the game. We even talked about it earlier in the show. But there's just some things that kind of go into this. One of the things that I think gets lost here is people think that everyone is the same baseline, even if they're really good at something. What I mean by that is, do you realize that if the Chiefs just ran the ball, and I'm not making a joke here, whether it was tap passes to Tyree Kill to get him going in misdirection, or ran straight up the middle, that there is a likelihood that time would have run out before the Bengals had any chance to come back. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, right? And you have a guy as great as Patrick Mahomes, a guy who I've affectionately called the Michael Jordan of football. And I still believe that. That's why I was so hard 
uh, to see what happened a couple of Sundays ago. Plus, some I mean, some people know on a personal level, I lost a little bit of coin on that loss. Um, but you have a guy like him on the field, and then on the sideline, you have a quality OC and Eric Bieniemy, and one of the top five coaches in the NFL, Andy Reid, and they all look like they panicked. You know, there's been situations with other guys who might even go into the Hall of Fame like a Matt Ryan where they should have just run the ball. And I'm not saying that running the ball is always the answer, but what I'm saying is they started to panic. And that was the difference in this game. It wasn't that... I think it was Dan Orlovsky because he's paid to do this. You try to find out the why. Causation for something happening. Instead of just correlation. And one of the things that he mentioned was the dropping eight in the coverage and only rushing three. It was like, an, if I remember correctly, it only happened once in the first half versus seven times or something like that um, in the second half. I don't think that's it. I just think there was a bit of a correlation on that. And he said, oh, the changeup was instead of using zone behind, that was it. He said they used man instead of zone and it was only once in the first half they did it and seven times in the second half what I would say to that is this and then a delayed blitzer would come at certain times if Patrick Mahomes on multiple plays that I saw whether it was the silly ass RPO where he threw a pick to the defensive lineman or just running backwards for no reason thinking he was still in the Super Bowl when there wasn't the interior pressure like there was in the Super Bowl if he would have just run forward a couple of times and taken four yards on first down Second and six. They can do the second same thing again. Uh, it's third and two, and then run the ball with uh, you know whoever you want to run it with McKinnon if you want to. Clyde Edwards Alaire. If they would have just been doing that, they're getting the ball forward. The thing they did against the Bengals that was so soul crushing to them was negative plays and giveaways. They gave a short field to the Bengals with that pick to the defensive lineman. They also ran out of range. <laughs> of getting a touchdown for no reason because Mahomes kept running backwards and then fumbled right before a field goal at the end of the game. And before the half, playing hero ball. I don't mind them going for it, but it should have been an immediate turn burn. But they got no points out of that. And again, the Bengals, the Bengals played in a manner that was the correct manner. And what I mean by that is this. If you play within yourself, don't make mistakes, but also play like it's your last game, which it is, if you lose, then you have a chance to win. You don't do anything too YOLO, but you do enough to show that you want to win. And I think the Bengals did that. And at the end of the day, that's why they won the game. It's also why I have faith in them uh, going to the Super Bowl, but that's something I'll cover on Turf Talk Thursdays in more depth as I go through all the ins and outs of that game. Now, in the NFC Championship, I will be honest, I only watched roughly half of the game. To be honest, I had no interest, but when I did see the highlights of the game and heard the things that I heard, yo, this was a this was a study in ineptitude on both coaching staffs. Good Lord, some of the decisions that were made. If you want to call Sean McVay a genius, go for it. I think that more than a lot of guys because that our head coaches in the NFL, there's more reason to call him a genius than some of the other people. 
because of his age, his production so far, things like that, right? And the running joke of he did all that with Jared Goff. Jared Goff's not nearly as bad as you all say he is. He's just not nearly as good as the number one overall pick. He should have never gone there at all. Jared Goff is basically Mac Jones in a lot of ways. You don't want to hear it, folks, because you want Mac Jones to be great, but they got a lot of similarities. He, he, he's a little bit less talented than Mac Jones. Let's go with that, huh? Okay, cool. But nothing special on either side. But also, far from bad quarterbacks. They're both starting caliber quarterbacks. Anyway. But good Lord. Challenging stuff on Sean McVay. Challenging stuff that doesn't make any damn sense. You got... Uh, Freaking, what's his name? Uh, Kyle Shanahan not going for it with minimal gains from punting the ball, not using Trey Lance or having any intention of using the young man when you know you got Jimmy Garoppolo. It looked, from the highlights, from what I heard, and just a bit of the game that I watched, man, both coaches should have been fired. And I don't mean that truly. I just mean if that game was for their coaching lives, because obviously both coaches should be retained, long term because their resumes say they are and they're actually both really good coaches but if it was just based on that game both fired because it was pathetic and then pile on the fact that both guys are actually smart and they are actually good it'd be different if you were looking at two bum coaches you're looking at two good coaches what the hell were they doing this game was literally decided by the coaches more than the players. And I know, you know, there was a dropped interception here and Jimmy Garoppolo ended up throwing a... First off, everyone's aware of what Jimmy Garoppolo is. Jimmy Garoppolo is a spot starter. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to be... <laughs> no one wants to hear this. That lives here, Jimmy Garoppolo has a chance to be the starting quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers next year. Or some other franchise. Which is looking at the openings and how things are kind of sitting... It's looking like Tampa Bay is a good chance of Jimmy Garoppolo being the quarterback. You know, it could be the Saints, even though I don't think because of cap hell they'd be able to do that. But I'm just giving you a team that's not in cap hell that also needs a starting quarterback and likes marketable people, which Jimmy Garoppolo is, and can give them the excuse of letting Kyle Trask sit for longer and hopefully he's able to develop. But honestly, from what I saw from him, he's not a starting NFL quarterback. Uh, he's more of a spot starter. But anyway. This game was won by, it was even the question, was it won by the better team? It was won by the more talented team. But to be honest, San Francisco outplayed the Rams in that game from what I saw. But all the mistakes were made by the 40 freaking Niners. All of the mistakes. Because again, quietly, Matt Stafford tried to throw the game away as well. So, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting situation with what's coming out of the NFC because if this was Madden football, to some extent, I can see the Rams, right? But if we want to be candid, I have more faith, and I never thought I'd say this, in the Cincinnati Bengals than I do in the Los Angeles Rams. And again, I'll get into both my prediction and also the ins and outs and nuance of the game on Turf Talk Thursdays. But I came out of that NFC Championship saying, nope, the Super Bowl was already played. And, you know, that's a facetious comment, but the Super Bowl was already played, or at least the Super Bowl winner was likely from that AFC Championship. So, it's whatever it is. All right, folks, look, 
some of the content that I went over, I did not end up cursing, but I wanted to give a warning just in case I got emotional on this. Look for, especially in what is supposed to be a meritocracy in, in, in anything, which is sports. Sports is supposed to be that. Look for more consistency in coverage, consistency in how things are handled, and consistency in what is actually produced. Because you end up in situations where a dirty game of telephone, if that's a way to describe it, or whether it's just social conditioning of as a more accurate situation, makes people feel certain ways about people who are either more qualified than another person, or that are doing just as well, if not better than another person, because of the way that we talk about them, position them. Whether it's, again, to talk about it, Airbnb not getting a job, maybe it's because he doesn't interview well. But again, I implore you and ask you, NFL GMs and owners, if you are actually trying to win, why the hell do you care how a guy sounds in an interview if the players understand him, can deal with him, and he knows what the hell he's doing? Maybe, instead of being pathetic enough to not take that stuff into account, if you actually want to win, you should stop giving a damn about the guy you can go play golf with, have dinner with, shake hands with, share experiences with, and look at the guy who can actually lead your team to victories. Unless your comfort is more important than actual W's, which for some of you owners, and for some of you GMs, and other execs on teams, 100% is because the NFL, more than any other, any other sports league, in all of this great country that we live in is just a cash cow. It's an ATM. You could be the worst league team in the league, baby, and guess what? You still print money. Let's go. You can go 0-16 and 1-15 and like the Cleveland Browns did, and guess what? They get in money. Some of these people in these positions do not care about producing a positive quality product. So they'll just like to remain comfortable. And I think that's a lot of what goes on and removes the ability for meritocracy to happen. So anyway, whew, that was Weak Side Wednesdays by me. For those of you all who didn't get the handle or came in late or whatever it may be, give me a follow on Twitter. That's where I, I have my football takes and it can be a weird place, but uh, 140 to 280 characters are sometimes not enough to get nuance across just a basic point. This is where I'm able to give you more information. But for my basic points, you can follow me at CJFlorida9, and that's at CJ, the entire state of Florida spelled out, and the number nine. And this will be the last week's side Wednesday for several weeks. As I start to gather the NFL draft stuff, I'll start doing more, more spot-related uh, week side Wednesdays, bring up some topics and cover them going forward. But we will have Turf Talk Thursday tomorrow. Until then, folks, take care and enjoy the Super Bowl.